we all could use some help with our emotional life, if we're honest with ourselves and with God. And we all, we all could use some help connecting with God. Um, I've, I've heard several such stories um, that he just shared um, very often with people. And so we could all use some help. Um, and you're going to get two great tools to help you develop more healthy rhythms that if you live out, if you actually apply and, and take these and, and walk in them, it will make you more emotionally healthy. I know because I've been walking in them for the last several months. It's not something I'm just going to teach you guys tonight and introduce you to tonight. It's something that I've been been living and enjoying myself. So come tonight, 6 to 8, and be refreshed. All right, we're going to turn our attention now to Romans 11. So if you have a Bible or an app, you can turn there with us. And while you're going there, I want to talk a little bit about something that uh, most of us this summer, uh, we, we got a lesson on not taking for granted of, and that is electricity. The derecho hit, and for a lot of us, we were out of power for several days. And so, um, if this was you, you know what I'm talking about. If, if, if you were me, I, I was getting up, taking a shower with my phone light in there, right? And, or you're like, okay, um, we have to try to keep the fridge closed, so... Uh, Guess I'll go buy some hot dogs and we'll roast them over the campfire in the backyard. And you're just getting creative, right? Um, something we just, that's there all the time, yet we take for granted. And we often do that in our spiritual life as well. If, if you think about it, um, electricity, you probably haven't thought about electricity today until I just brought it up. But we tend to do this. As Christians, we, we tend to take advantage of the amazing blessings in our life, particularly as believers take for granted the most amazing blessing. And that's the 100% assurance of salvation that we have from God through the person and work of Jesus Christ. We take salvation for granted to the point that often we begin to take advantage of it. Well, God will just forgive me so I can do this. I'll just go ahead and do it. He'll forgive me anyway. Or we take salvation for granted to the point that we, we've forgotten altogether what we've been saved from. We're just going, oh yeah, I'm saved, sweet, I'm going to heaven. When we, we don't even give a thought to hell. And we take salvation for granted to the point that we start to despise God's good plans in our lives. Often we do that because they're usually not ours. <laughs> it's not what we would have chosen. So let me give you a quick recap of the last few chapters of Romans 8. Here's essentially what Paul is saying, what God is saying to us. In Romans 8, it says, be assured of your salvation. Be 100% assured of your salvation. Romans 9, because of God's mercy, his grace. And then Romans 10 you receive that by faith, by trusting in Jesus. And Romans 11, which we have today, but... Don't take that for granted. Don't take it for granted. So today, my goal, and I believe the goal of God in Romans 11, as we read it, is is to try to take a, a defibrillator, so to speak, to our hearts when it comes to salvation. And hopefully it will, will jolt us awake once again to how incredible salvation is from God. To infuse in our bones some humility along with the assurance. So let's, let's look at Romans 11. And I'm just going to give you 
my main points, what I see in this text, what are the main points of this text, and then I'll read it. So um, if you're a note taker, I'm just giving you all of it on the front end, okay? Here's how to stay humble with our assurance. One, cherish God's kindness. Cherish God's kindness. Two, tremble at God's severity with unbelief. Tremble at God's severity with unbelief. And three, marvel at God's plan. Marvel at God's plan. If you missed it, it's all right. I'll be talking about those throughout the rest of this. I want to show you these in Romans 11. So Romans 11, verse 1. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars and I alone am left and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Beautiful line there at the end of verse 6. But look back at verse 1. Paul's saying God has not rejected his chosen people, the Jews. He's saying, I know that because I'm one of them. I'm by blood an Israelite, he's saying. And then he name drops Abraham, the the first Israelite, the first um, of God's chosen people. And then he goes beyond that and goes, I'm not only descended from Abraham, I'm descended from Benjamin. This is how much of an Israelite I am. That was his tribe. And you're like, so what, Benjamin? Who's that? Well, uh, of the 12 sons that were born of Jacob... He was the only one who was born in the promised land of Israel. On top of that, Benjamin, the the plot of land he got, had Jerusalem, the capital and holy city. So he's saying, Paul's saying, I cherish that God showed me his kindness, even though I am an Israelite. And I'm not just an Israelite, I'm an Israelite of Israelites. So you better believe that God has not rejected the Israelites. Now, here's why Paul's saying this. Um, it's believed that the, the church in Rome and a lot of people in Rome had negative thoughts swirling around about the Jewish people because they didn't believe in Jesus. They're like, oh, they rejected Jesus, so let's treat them as second-class citizens. And Paul's trying to push against that and go, no, that's not true. He's saying God does not, has not, and will not reject his people, Israel. In fact... He will show them kindness and grace when they don't deserve it. And then he proves it in in the next couple verses, verse 2, 3, and 4 here. He's he's like, hey, look at Elijah. Here's what happened in Elijah's day. Elijah was a prophet. Okay, when it, it seemed like everyone had turned their back on God except for Elijah, or at least that's how Elijah felt in that moment. God's kindness and grace saved 7,000 for himself. 7,000. And see, the Israelites at that time and humanity in general is in the business of taking advantage of God. We go, you you know, you've been really kind to us, God. But man, that golden idol over there, the Israelites, Baal over there looks really good. 
Besides, you'll, you'll forgive us anyway, right, God? But God, God is in the business of showing kindness and grace to those who want it. So we need to cherish God's kindness. God's kindness pursues and preserves believers. It pursued and preserved Paul. It pursued and preserved those 7,000. And it pursues and preserves us who believe in Christ. Cherish God's kindness. Cherish. This, this word cherish means to enjoy or appreciate even when other things look a lot better. To enjoy and appreciate something even when other things look better. So it immediately made me think of my sword. Oh, I can't get it out of the sheath. There we go. So this is my sword. This is supposedly a replica of King Solomon's sword. How they know that, I have no idea. So probably isn't actually. But um, here's why I love this sword. I love this sword because the groomsmen in my wedding decided, hey, you know what? Uh, A lot of the wedding gifts often given at a wedding are geared towards the bride. Let's just be honest, right? So they're like, we're going to get a a man gift for Matt. So they they got me a sword that's really dull. Um, So I hung it up in my office in case someone comes in and attacks me. That way I have a dull sword. Um, No, I hung it up in my office because Heather won't let me hang it at home for some reason. But... um, but this is, this is a really special gift to me, not because the sword really is much of anything. Um, it's because the people who got it for me really know me and love me, right? It's also really special because I received it on one of the most special days of my life, the day that I got married. So let's say that I actually found King Solomon's actual sword that he wielded in battle or something like on a, at a pawn shop or, or digging around in the back, my backyard or something crazy like that. Let's just say that I found King Solomon's actual sword. Here's the thing. I wouldn't cherish it that much. It'd be cool to have, I maybe get some good money out. Of, I don't know, but here's why. Because people that knew and loved me didn't give it to me. On one of the most special days of my life. Here's what I'm getting at. God has given us his kindness and grace. The moment that we believe. And even when shiny imitations. Just just like if I found King Solomon's real sword. Even shiny imitations of his kindness. Try to tempt us away. Right? They, They say hey just do it. You know he'll forgive you anyway. But we need to cherish his kindness. Over that tempting cheap imitation. Because he knows and loves us in spite of us. He knows us and loves us and he gave us salvation. His kindness will never fail, never give up, and never run out on us. Cherish the fact that yes, he will forgive you even if you give in to temptation. I mean, who does that? Who forgives someone when they turn, when they turn their back on them? So hard to do that. He is the only one And the only thing worth cherishing, cherish, enjoy, and appreciate God's kindness, even when, especially when, something else looks better. Because as we often sing, there really is nothing better than you. There's nothing better than him. All right, put my sword back before it gets too crazy. Okay, let's keep reading in Romans 11, verse 7. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. 
The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and bend their backs forever. Tremble at God's severity with unbelief. This is a similar situation, verses 7 through 10, as Romans chapter 9, when God hardened Pharaoh's heart. But remember, as we talked about in Romans 9, Pharaoh hardened his own heart first. Then God just gave him over, like it says in Romans 1. Here in verse 7, it says that Israel failed. Israel failed. They, they failed in this way. They, they were the eyewitnesses of the Messiah. The Jewish people were eyewitnesses of Jesus walking and living on this earth. Yet, they rejected him and hardened their hearts to Jesus. So it says here that God gave them over. He dealt with them severely. But he did it because of their unbelief. Don't, don't blame this on God. Theologian Leon Morris says, says it like this. Those who failed God did not do so because they had been hardened, but they were hardened because they had failed God. See, he was just like Pharaoh. He hardened his heart. So God's like, all right, fine. I don't want to do this, but here, this is where you're heading. So this is what's going to happen. So what should our response to this be? We need to tremble at God's severity with unbelief. See, this is what Choosing to not follow Jesus, to not believe in Jesus, leads to. We should be shook up. We should be disturbed at what not believing in Jesus leads to. It, it, it makes me think of a, uh, a football game I watched years ago. And I was going to show the clip, then I thought better because I didn't want anyone puking on me here this morning. So I'll describe it. And if you're kind of queasy, maybe don't watch me as I describe it. Um, but the guy's running. He, his name was Willis McGahee. He was a running back for the Miami Hurricanes. National championship game. Going, going up against the Ohio State University. Don't know why I said that. I don't like Ohio State. Why would I give in to that? Anyway, um, he's running. Willis McGahee's running. And you just see this, this guy run in to try to tackle him. And he leads with his helmet on his knee. And you literally see his knee go back here. And I remember as I watched that. In real time, shouting out loud, ah, no! And I, I mean, I wanted to puke. I maybe did a little bit in my mouth. I mean, and when I watch it again, it's just, it's terrible. It's one of those things you just tremble at. And, and here's why I say this. This is what should happen when we hear about these Israelites who don't believe or anyone who doesn't believe and what happens because of them. We should be shook up and disturbed a bit by it. Look what happens to the Israelites when they don't believe. They face God's punishment for their sin. Verses 8 through 10. Look at what would have happened if you did not believe. You would have dealt with God's just wrath and punishment. Think, think about a conscious eternal existence without anything or anyone good or pleasurable with continual conscious pain and torture, and worst of all, without God. 
the only one who can satisfy your heart. It's good for us as believers to tremble at and contemplate God's severity with unbelief. Not so that we become afraid because we're free of this punishment. Romans 8.1, there's no condemnation. Not so we go, oh man, I hope I don't go there. No, so that we cherish God's gift of kindness in Christ that we don't deserve. It humbles us. It shrinks our view of ourselves down to size a bit and inflates our view of God closer to reality of who he actually is. Tremble at God's severity with unbelief. Romans 11, 11, we'll keep reading. So I ask, did they stumble, the Jews, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means, rather... Through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, I am speaking to you Gentiles inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. We need to marvel at God's plan. Marvel at God's plan. Here's why God's plan is worth marveling at in this section, 11 to 16. He... Here's what he's saying here. God wastes nothing. God wastes nothing. The Jews, not believing in Jesus, literally led to his crucifixion and resurrection. And his crucifixion and resurrection led to salvation for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, as we saw in Romans 10. God used even the unbelief of his chosen people for his plan. He wastes nothing. But God didn't just give up on the Jews. No, he turns around and uses the salvation for everyone to make them jealous so that they would desire him. God used the unbelief of Jews to bring salvation for the Gentiles in order to woo those unbelieving Jews to believe in him. He wastes nothing, even unbelief. We should be marvel at, be amazed by God's intricate, mysterious, beautiful plan. What the enemy meant for evil, God uses for good. For those who love God, all things work together for good. And we see that on full display here. Romans eleven seventeen and 18 now. We come back to cherishing God's kindness. But if some of the branches were broken off, And you, although a wild olive shoot were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. See, Gentiles, non-Jews, don't Get all arrogant and full of yourself. That's what he's saying here. Don't get all... This is us. This is, this is us. Unless you're of Jewish heritage. This, this is us. Don't get all arrogant and full of yourself. Because you have salvation. 
while a lot of Israelites, Jews, do not. We need, we need to cherish and enjoy and appreciate God's kindness to everyone. You are no better than anyone else. It was God's grace. We didn't earn a thing. Verse 19, coming back to trembling, then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Whew, some strong language there, Paul. Tremble at God's severity with unbelief. He's saying when you hear of the Jews or anyone else that has not believed in Jesus, don't go, ha, look at them, losers, I win. No, instead, tremble. Verse 20, do not become proud, but fear, be in awe. This doesn't mean we become afraid of losing our salvation, no. It means be shook up and disturbed at what believing, of what not believing in Jesus leads to. This is where it leads. Let the severity of God with unbelief lead you to, as it says here, stand fast through faith. Let it lead you to greater and continued trust in Jesus' work for you. Faith. But then verse 21. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. If you choose to take God's grace for granted over and over and over and over, and you don't tremble at God's punishment for unbelief, And you don't grow in your trust of Jesus. He's saying, watch out. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You just said there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Paul. Well, the arrogant, selfish life described here of someone who takes God's grace for granted over and over and doesn't tremble at him, doesn't grow in trust of Jesus is not someone who's actually in Christ. Verse 22. This is where it all comes together. This is the key verse of this whole chapter. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but kindness to you provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. In that verse alone, we see all of these themes that I've been pulling out, trembling, cherishing, marveling. See, here's here's a nice Bible study tool as well for you. Paul, in his writings, usually sums up his main point somewhere within a section, especially in the harder ones, very succinctly into one line. And this is where he does it in chapter 11. But it says, provided you continue in his kindness. There's another disturbing line. I thought it wasn't by works. He just said that in verse 6. It was by grace. Otherwise, grace wouldn't be grace. It's not by works. Well, this isn't works that's described here. It's, it's faith. Grace through faith. 
We just keep bringing our continued trust of him to the table. Basically, Paul's saying, hey, keep enjoying and cherishing God's kindness. Keep turning your eyes upon Jesus and looking full in his wonderful face. Keep, keep your gaze on the cross and you've got nothing to worry about. Or as theologian Leon Morris said, there is a humble security. I, I, I like that right there. There's a humble security that leans constantly on the kindness of God. And there's a proud self-dependence that scorns any need of help. It is the latter against which Paul is warning. A humble security. Note the kindness and severity of God. And humbly find security in his arms. Verse 23. Some more marveling at God's plan here. And, and even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, the Jews here will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if, they, if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back in into their own olive tree? He's saying, hey, marvel at this. He's using this, this tree analogy. If we were grafted into a tree where, where we did not naturally belong by lineage, by blood, but we were given adoption into his family, how much more those who by blood were part of the family can they be grafted back in if they choose to believe at some point? Then verse 25 comes in and says to tremble again, lest you be wise in your own sight. I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come. See, Israel's facing consequences. There's a partial hardening going on here. Don't be unaware. Don't be wise in your own sight. Tremble at God's severity with unbelief. And then verses 26 and 27, cherish God's kindness. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will vanquish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. That line, all Israel will be saved, in verse 26, has baffled theologians for centuries, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you what I think this means just based off of the context of Romans. All Israel will be saved. Here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that all Jews by blood will be saved. We saw in Romans 9, 6 that not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Okay, so it's not, it's not about the bloodline. Israel here means Jews who believe in Jesus. If some people who are Jewish decide to believe in Jesus, they're going to be in heaven with us. So put it a different way. It, it says here when it says all Israel will be saved, you could say all true believers who are Jewish by descent will be saved. And what we should do with this is just behold the extent and reach of God's kindness here. It extends even to Jewish Believers, after all of this time and all of this hardness of heart, who choose to believe. See, God is way more kind and gracious 
than I think we ever dared imagine. That's what we should walk away from this with. He's way more gracious and kind than we ever thought possible. Then verses 28, we see more of God's plan. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they may also now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. Marvel at God's plan. Verses 28 to 32 really is a great reiteration of verses 11 to 16. And really a good recap of this whole chapter so far. God wastes nothing. He uses it all to show and display his kindness and his power. But that brings us to the last part. And I have a fourth point to give you. And so does Paul. How do we stay humble with our assurance? One, we cherish God's kindness. Two, we tremble at God's severity with unbelief. Three, we marvel at God's plan. But then last, we tremble, cherish, and marvel at God himself. Romans eleven thirty three to 36. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. What a beautiful hymn. A beautiful song to wrap this up with. But note this. Paul breaks out in song, not because he now gets God. I get it. I understand you, God. No, that's not what he says at all. He's like, I don't understand you completely. And I'm amazed by that. This is magnificent. This is a mystery. And I can't help but sing and worship you, God, for that. I remember... Um, In October, we had the privilege, Heather and I, of going to uh, Yellowstone, and we saw Old Faithful Geyser, and it goes off every every 90 minutes or so, Um, and we'd never seen anything like this in our lives, and we're getting ready, we're filming, you know, and there's tons of people there, and we're thinking, you know, people are going to be clapping and cheering, and it goes off, and it was dead silent, and I couldn't believe it, I was like, And I couldn't even get myself to start here. It was just like we were marveling at how amazing and beautiful and mysterious this was. And it seems like that's what Paul's doing here at the end of Romans chapter 11 with verses 33 to 36. He's just stepping back and marveling at God and going, wow, God, you are incredible. He starts with, oh, you know, you know, he's into it. When you start with, oh, like you have no words, it's like, oh. Wow. Humility really is found not in figuring God out because we can't completely. It's found in trembling and cherishing and marveling at God himself. 
So here's what I'd like to do to end today. Um, if you can throw that scripture back up, Romans eleven thirty three to 36. Um, but I would like uh, a couple people who, are, uh, who can project. Uh, I'd like one, one person at a time to just stand up and, and read it with all they got. Do you guys not have that slide? It's my very last one. Really? Is there any way you can pull up Romans eleven thirty three to 36? I'd, I'd love to do this. It's fine. We can wait. Um, I'll read it again while, the, while the we're working on it and give you guys some time to build up some courage. All right. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. We got it or should I just chop it? Okay. Worth waiting for. Or I guess you wouldn't have to have it on the screen, would you? Anyone have a Bible in front of them? That just, <laughs> that, that just wants to stand up and read that? I just think it's powerful to hear one another reading God's Word. Beautiful. There we go. Anybody? Great. Amen. All right, one more person. Let's do it. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Can't say it better than Paul just said it here. We don't understand you, God. And sometimes that's maddening. But what it should do is, is just give us awe and wonder how... Do you,